So turn with me to Hosea chapter 11. We're going to be looking at the last verse in chapter 11 and then all of chapter 12 as we study today. Chapter or verse 12 of chapter 11 was probably supposed to have been at the beginning of chapter 12 and not the end of 11. It's that way in the Hebrew Bible. And so that's why we're going to look at it that way because it has this overarching thought that continues on through chapter 12. As we go to God's word, let's go to him again in prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your holy word, we pray that you would help us with it. We are thankful for the continued teaching from it as we hear the gospel message as we read or as we heard from Ruth this morning as we've been in this book of Hosea and just the, the loud and clear message of the plan of redemption. So Lord, we pray that you would help us as we come to your word that we would see you clearly, that we would find rest, that we would learn more how to follow you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. One of the things that I thought about as I read through this passage is something that I teach my students quite a bit in the classroom, and it's the idea that the the work that you have to do in order to get to the right answer is actually much more important than the answer itself. That work represents learning. It represents uh, having that material make sense to you, right? It's getting to the right answer is, represents kind of a, a struggle. Simply copying the right answer down will only help you on your homework, right, to just have all the blanks filled in. But when it comes to the test, you're going to be lost. So that grind of, of learning and figuring and wrestling with the subject is how we grow in the classroom. Making It's not simply by making sure all of our answers are right. And we understand this to be a general life principle as well, right? That hard work is a reward by itself. You've heard that before, right? That, that act of working hard is, is good for us. It's easy to tell the difference between someone who has only ever been given things and someone who works hard for what they have. It's because that hard work pays off in and of itself. So in our text today, we have this idea between God and his people, Israel. God has only ever provided them with blessing, causing them to, to rise above the other nations that are surrounding them. But Israel has taken that blessing, and they've grown deceitful and spoiled. They've started to become convinced that they've done all the work and that they deserve all the glory for this. God shows them that the only thing that they deserve is his judgment, but not without first calling them back to himself. And so as we move through this text today, we're going to see how this idea applies to our own life. God calls us to himself to do the work of following him, dwelling with him, showing that we have been delivered by him. 
our deliverance, that act of deliverance, was done with his merit alone. We, we supplied no merit to cause it to happen. We, we had nothing to supply to keep it that way. He keeps that completely himself. But now, in him, we are called to follow him. And so what does that mean? As we look through this text, we're going to look at that idea in three main ideas. First, holding fast to the Lord, then dwelling with the Lord, and finally, delivered by the Lord. So with that, look with me at the text, Hosea 11, verse 12, through chapter 12, verse 14. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Hosea 11, verse 12. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the hill and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. A merchant in whose hands are false balances he loves to oppress Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself, and in all my labors they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God from the the land of Egypt. I will make you dwell in tents as in the day of the appointed feast. I spoke to the prophets. It is I who multiplied vision and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are also like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So again, remember last week we had a picture of Israel being this spoiled child wandering off even though the Lord continued to pursue her and being able to wander off because of the Lord's great blessing in her life. We have a similar picture today, though today instead of getting the perspective of the Father's tender love, we have the Father challenging His people with commands that call His people to remember their relationship and turn to Him. Just like we saw in the relationship with Hosea and his wife Gomer, over the course of this book, we've dealt with Israel's sin and right judgment because of that sin, but we also are seeing the Lord calling his bride back to him. But that calling isn't a simple message in the hopes that this wayward bride will hopefully respond. It is a purchase. 
It's an act of actual redemption that purchases the bride from her false lovers back to the lover of her soul. And through this purchase, and although this purchase has been completed, we have that in the finished work of Jesus, there is still a heart change in us that must take place and does take place in Christ. There's a book that I highly recommend, and it's called How People Change. It's by uh, two guys, Tim Lane and Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp is probably one that you've heard of. And it deals with this very issue, the heart, the heart change that takes place in the life of a believer. I think it's a quintessential text for biblical counseling, but it's also helpful for anyone who under, wants to understand this, this gap that exists between the finished work of Jesus, which is applied to every believer on, based upon the merit of Christ alone, and our final acceptance of that finished work, meaning that I fully understand what Christ has done in my life, which honestly won't happen until we are with him in glory. What I mean is this. Each of us who are in Jesus have a very have the very righteousness of Christ. We are called to be children of God by the merit of Jesus alone, not our own. Yet, we still lack full understandness, our full understanding of the fullness of that truth. We demonstrate that every time we sin, that we don't fully understand. Just like the student who copies the right answer, but has no idea why it's right, the Christian must make our calling and election sure. And today's passage in Hosea, I think, is helpful with helping us understand that. And that brings me to the first point, holding fast to the Lord. Look with me at 11.12 through 12.2. Again, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, the house of Israel with deceit. Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. So here we have a short list of Israel's sin, the theme being their futility, this idea of chasing after the wind, which we're going to get to in just a second. I first want to deal with verse 12 of chapter 11, because there's a lot of difficulties here, translational type difficulties. I normally don't talk a lot about translation, but I feel like this is necessary, particularly since you've heard me read the ESV text twice, and I do not agree with the ESV's translation on this particular verse. Uh, It says that Judah still walks with God and is faithful. But again, I do not believe this is the best rendering of the Hebrew, primarily because of the text of 12.2, which tells us that Judah is going to be indicted along with Ephraim. The word there in Hebrew isn't simply just this idea of walking, right, where it says they're, they're walking with, with God. But it is more of this kind of restless, wandering kind of connotation to it. It's not just simply walking with someone, but like wandering around on them. Almost like a student that has grown bored with the classroom and needs to wander the hall in search of mischief. You've probably been that student. As a teacher, I've definitely had them many, many times. They're restless 
with God. And this is a picture of Israel throughout our history. And what better way to typify this kind of behavior than the man that is brought up by the prophet here in Jacob. Jacob is the perfect picture of feeding on the wind and pursuing it, never catching the prize that he's constantly chasing after. He's a man that had 13 children. If you remember the the history of Jacob and those 13 children he had with four different women, two wives, they were sisters, and each of their servants as well. He swindled his brother out of his inheritance, turned around and did the same with his father. He swindled his uncle out of lots of wealth. But God found him and subdued him. And we see this story played out in the following verses in 3 through 5. In the womb, speaking of Jacob, in the womb he took his brother by the hill. And his manhood, in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel. And there God spoke with us. The God, or the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. And so this is a brief retelling of the events of Jacob's life, just a couple of them, starting with his birth where he was named deceiver or literally supplanter as one who grabs the heel. He grabbed his twin's heel when he was born. He lived up to his name, which most people do in the Old Testament if you read through there. And he says he, says he strove with God. And he did so both figuratively and literally. We have a picture of Jacob wrestling with God, which comes from Genesis 32. And so turn with me to Genesis 32. The character of Jacob is a, it's one that I readily relate with in his struggles. In this picture of Jacob wrestling God, is just fascinating. I wish we could spend a lot more time here. Maybe we can someday. I'm going to read 22 through 29, then we'll talk about it. Uh, Genesis 32, verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When he saw that he was that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God. And with men and prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask your name? And there he blessed him. So again, there's a whole lot going on here. We could stop here for some time. But I want to consider the connection that we have to Hosea 12. We have this picture in of Israel in Hosea that is very similar to the picture that we have here of Jacob in Genesis 32, a deceiver, one who chases after something that he can never catch. 
And in one of the most anxious moments of Jacob's life, Jacob is waiting for what he thinks is his brother is going to come. He thinks his brother is just going to kill him on sight. He thinks that he's going to lose his life here, and so he's afraid. And God comes to him, and Jacob catches him. Now we read here that, that Jacob wrestles with a man. We also, Hosea says that this is the angel. Well, I think that this is the pre-incarnate son, Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord here. And Jacob's wrestling with him. And after this match, what do we have? Well, he says that I, I have wrestled with God and prevailed. Or he, God says you have wrestled with God and prevailed. So again, I believe this to be the pre-incarnate son, Jesus himself, here wrestling with his child, Jacob. And notice the wrestling match. It's not as if the angel of the Lord or our Lord Jesus is ever in trouble here. He even touches Jacob's hip, causing an injury just by just touching him. Yet notice Jacob's behavior. He refused to let go until he was blessed. And he received his blessing. It says he has striven with God. He had his name changed from deceiver to one who struggles with God and prevails. In this case, it isn't because he pinned God to the ground or anything like that at all. But it's because he held on to him desperately, even in the midst of a losing effort. And if we go back and see that in Hosea 12, we see this picture come to the full. Jacob was familiar with this man that he wrestled, though. This is something that he had seen before, as we have the allusion here in Hosea chapter 12 about Bethel. Jacob had seen this man at the top of a ladder at another point in his life. In Bethel, Jacob had a dream, remember, where the angels were ascending and descending upon a ladder, and it was the Lord Jesus standing at the top, reminding Jacob of his covenant blessings. And you may be wondering, well, how do you know that's Jesus standing at the top? Well, Jesus said it was him standing at the top. In John chapter 1, when he was talking to Nathaniel, he said, that was me. And you may, you're going to see even greater things. The, the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And I think verse 5 helps us with this also in Hosea chapter 12. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. This covenantal name, Yahweh, which the Lord Jesus readily identifies himself with over and over in the Gospels. And you see all of this come together in verse 6. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. By the help of your God, return, hold fast, wait continually for your God. Hold on to God, hold fast to love and justice, wait for the Lord's blessing, struggle with God. And again, not in the sense that you're physically wrestling with him at all, but understanding that when we are learning and understanding God more and more, that there's a real spiritual kind of wrestling that goes on. Knowing the right answers, right? We know this feeling as, as Christians there where we know 
the right answers, yet still making all of those answers work in our heads. And being okay then at the end of that time with those things that you aren't able to make work. Having comfort in God even though you can't find comfort in yourself. Trusting the one who gives all comfort through his son. And brothers and sisters, this is our continual struggle. We know the answers, right? We know them. Yet, we don't seem to live them all the time. And this is one that in Christ, our Heavenly Father bears with us. Remember last week, the picture of him watching the child learn to walk and carrying the child and watching the child fall and then looking at the child as they sin and saying, how can I give you up? This is the picture of a father helping us return to him as we hold fast to him, waiting for our blessing. And so for us as the church, wrestle with God, hold on to him. You will receive your blessing. And just to be careful, this blessing isn't material. Rather, it's a deeper understanding of the one of who he is and the peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that brings us to the second point, dwelling with the Lord. Look with me again, verses 7 through 9. A merchant in whose hands are false balances he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself, and in, in my, all my labors they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt, and I will make you again to dwell in tents as the day of the appointed feast. It's a picture of a merchant that is stolen to get where they are, yet they believe that they have found wealth by legitimate means. It's very similar to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3 thinking that their riches had come from their own ability rather than understanding that without the Lord they were hungry, blind, and naked. Ephraim goes a step further here in verse 8 saying, In in all my labors I have no sin. It's a very bold statement from a people who have golden cow altars at their northern and southern temples. So notice the Lord's pronouncement on them. Rather than keep them in their luxury... This all this luxury and blessing that he has given upon given to them and heaped upon them over the course of their history, he is going to return them to tents. This takes them back to the time of the Exodus when Israel left Egypt and headed to the promised land, living in tents in the desert during that time. It also takes them back to a time when God was with them every step of the way. A pillar of smoke by day and by a fire by night and a temple in, the, in their midst. Israel had forgotten their first love. And God wants to return them to the site of their honeymoon there in the desert. Many times this is something that we seek out as well, I think, in the Christian life. As we want to recapture those first moments of our conversion, we do so by trying to somehow replicate those experiences that we had when we were first Believers, And again, this is not always a bad thing, but it's not those experiences at all that made us close to God. It was God who did all of that work. And so many times when we stray from God as Christians, it's not because we lack the proper Christian experience. 
It's because we have become convinced that we are where we are because we have made it on our own. And we have forgotten that God is the one who has done it all. It could be that our prayers need to be that God would take us back to this time of dwelling in tents. We sing a song about that quite a bit here at Redeemer. That song that I asked the Lord that I might grow, a John Newton hymn, where the hymn writer asked the Lord for growth in his faith. It's something that we all want, right? We want growth in our faith. We want to be closer to the Lord. We seek out those experiences that we think would do that. And when he answers... It's not the answer that he was expecting. The words from the hymn you guys are familiar with. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ. From self and pride to set thee free. And break thy schemes of earthly joy, that thou mayest find thy all in me. Church, our prayer should be that he would increase our faith. That we would grow in grace. That we would seek more his face. And it might mean that we have to dwell again in tents. That's how the Lord calls people back to himself. In fact... We know how he does this because he came and he dwelt among us so that he could call us back. That brings us to the last point delivered by the Lord. Look with me again at verse 10. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. The Lord has always spoken through this prophets and he did that even in the days of Jesus and with our Lord himself and with John the Baptist, he did that in the early days of the church through the apostles, and now we have his word in completed form today. And he spoke to us in parables, in ways that we could understand. Yet we, like Israel, still go astray, but he still calls us to himself. And it's by his very word that we hear the truth and are delivered. It's by his word that we as his people are drawn back to him. In verse 13 it says, By a prophet the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. So speaking of Moses, the mouthpiece of God, when the people of God were brought back from Egypt. But we know that one would come later that was prophesied by Moses himself, In Deuteronomy and even as far back as Genesis, that this prophet would come and he would dwell among his people, speaking the very words of God because he would be called the word of God made flesh. We need to understand, brothers and sisters in Christ, that without Jesus, none of this is even possible. These calls to draw the people close to the Lord to return to him, to wrestle with God, none of this would even be possible were it not for the work of Jesus Christ. All of it would be folly without the help of God himself. And by help, I mean the same help that dry bones need in order to be made alive. In our sin we were dead, but in Jesus we have been made alive. And if we are alive then, let us continue 
to strive with God. Let us continue to seek Him out. Let us continue to make our calling and our election sure. Let us draw near to Him, seeing that all the while He has never left us. He has always been near to us. The same calls to you if you're an unbeliever here this morning. Understand that without Jesus, you cannot draw near to God. Your sin separates you from God much further than you realize. Yet it could be that you're starting to realize that here today. And if so, it's the Lord calling you. Answer His call. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before the believer, the message is also clear. We had it very clearly in that verse. In verse 6, So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you in prayer, we come to you as a people who are many times restless and wandering. We come to you as those who are chasing after the wind and never quite catching it. We come to you as ones who want to be near but don't want to follow. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, that you would change our wayward hearts, that you would draw us near to you, that you would show us again the truth of your gospel, that you have never, ever gotten far away from us, but instead you're right here with us all the while. Lord, help us. Give us peace. Give us understanding that we might follow you more. And we pray this In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me now as we sing our response to God's word.